0: This is the Career Planning Show, hosted by Employment Services Advisor Alex Rashkanu.
1: Andrew Berry is a data science educator at Lighthouse Labs. He's passionate about all things data and artificial intelligence. He's also the host of the Pandemic Job Hunt podcast a podcast dedicated to helping professionals find the keys to success in landing a job during the pandemic. Connect with Andrew Barry on LinkedIn and GitHub and check out his Pandemic Job Hunt podcast at PandemicJobHunt.com. Andrew shared his journey of becoming a data science educator, discussed the importance of taking the time to reflect on where you want your career to go, as well as how to show that you are passionate about the job you're applying for and shared some of the productivity and data science-related tools he uses. Enjoy listening to Andrew Berry's career journey and his career development insights. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks a lot for making the time to be with us. Andrew, can you start with walking us through your career journey so far?
0: Sure. Uh, Let me just wind it back to the beginning of university Uh, I was 18 years old. I landed in Canada, uh, fresh off the plane. And uh, one week later, I started my university classes. And the university I went to was uh, McGill University, which was at, which is in Montreal. And in my undergrad career, I probably switched majors like three, four times. I remember I landed at McGill, thinking I would love to do international business. But however, after six or seven months of it, I realized, you know, this is not for me. So let me just switch to another major, in that case, finance. And after three, four months of doing that, studying some, taking some finance courses, I realized (laughs) I didn't like finance. And let me switch to something else, information systems. And after three to four months of that, I realized, okay, maybe this is something I prefer (laughs) over my other uh, subject matters. However, I also taken on some credits from the other classes. So I decided, you know, I'm going to have much more of a general approach and try mm. to have, um, you know, take a bunch of minors and eventually finish with a major information systems. But that was like a two year process of really taking a bunch of electives, trying out different courses to really figure out um, what I really wanted to study, what I really wanted to do. Mm. Because I think when I was applying for university when I was like 17 years old uh, I didn't really know what I really wanted to do I just applied to things that just made sense to me or was just intrinsic at the moment Uh, but I didn't do too much research and I think that that's like a problem generally is in high school society puts so much pressure for like these young kids from 16 to 17 to apply for university and pick a major and you think that's going to be what you're going to do for the rest of your life um, mm. that is not true uh, and I think society needs to do a better job at highlighting the differences or, or different career paths mm. there are because in reality there is so many career paths and there's many career paths that's not told in the traditional way uh, people having you know, working using social media now to really enhance their career as, a, as a, an example. However, through university, I studied undergrad uh, with information systems, which is a major within the, the commerce degree. So I graduated yes. with a, a BCom uh, after four years of um, working and pursuing my degree, I Graduate university without really an idea where I wanted to go. I wasn't too sure what to, what jobs I want to take. uh, Because again, I was still a bit confused what I really wanted to do. I was was unsure the BCom degree was right for me. But I knew that I was really into fashion at the time. And I was really into technology at that time. And I decided uh, to help out a friend with his own fashion startup, And try to like dabble my hands into that and just to get get myself a little busy however i think when i was in that role or like just helping him out i was also figuring myself out at the same time and i always knew that i liked tech and i always knew i was interested in data because in university i took a one or two classes that were programming and Yes. One or two classes that were involved in data analytics, mm. and I think that was fascinating to me. That you know, in the world of big data, uh, how do you really manipulate data? How do you work with like large data? How do you get insights from data? And I knew there must be more technologies that work with big data than just Excel and Google Sheets, which is traditionally what people use in many companies, and in and especially in undergrad degrees, that's what they teach you. Yeah. Uh, so I knew that. I wanted to figure out a way to be in tech, but I had a business degree. Uh, what's the next best option? I, don't, I did not want to be like a software engineer, or software developer building stuff from scratch. What is that perfect intersection between technology and business? And hmm. that's where I found data science. I thought data science was the perfect intersection because within data science, you do need to know coding abilities such as Python and SQL and and the basics of it, but you didn't, you don't need to know that much. You don't have to be an expert or a pro. You just need to know enough to get around manipulating data and, and doing transformations with data. Hmm. And I thought that was the tech side, but in the business side of it is actually understanding your domain, understanding the business problem, understanding what the data tells you. That's more of the subjective side of data science, which I thought was intriguing. And I think it was just a perfect intersection because data science at the end of the day is applying statistics to large data sets. And there's computers that will help you churn out uh, complicated calculations that we humans can't do by hand. That's why this field is data science. It's the intersection between computer science and business, or I guess statistics. And that's the art of data science. And once I realized that I enrolled myself into a data science bootcamp. So I enrolled in a data science bootcamp in Toronto uh, in early of 2019. I think 2019 March or 2019 April is when I started, um, and I did a three month full time bootcamp learning at the foundation of data science. It was very intensive. It's it's it was you were studying from nine to nine every day. Uh, your weekends are just constantly busy. Um, because you just have to catch up on work or doing homework assignments. Because essentially, what these boot camps trying to achieve is is squishing a one-year data science master's into three months. And you're going over so much to- so many topics so quickly that you need to spend time after class to review your content. And it's very mm-hmm. intense. But I'm so grateful for going through that boot camp because without it, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yes. a data science instructor. After the boot camp, I graduated. I dabbled in freelance for a little bit for data analytics. I took on some projects, just uh, just doing some basic analytics of looking at some, you know, spreadsheets, data and see if I can make some transformations, see if I can make some uh, provide some insights to the various clients I had. Uh, however, a short while after I graduated, Brainstation called me up and be like, "Hey, do you want to Brainstation is a school I went to, by yes. the way." Uh, they called me up and asked, hey, do you want to be a TA for um, for the data science court? So basically being on the other side of, hmm. of the boot camp experience, you know, I was a student and now yeah. I'm on the other side. I'm actually an educator. I'm actually delivering the content, delivering the product. And it was very interesting to see how it worked behind the scenes. And I was just so intrigued by, I guess, how my boss at that time uh, referred to as how the sausage is made <laughs> <Yes>. and uh, <laughs> when I learned how the sausage was made I think I realized I had a passion in this because I had so many qualms in terms of what I think should have been done or what I think should be improved because when you are a student you experience it in a different way compared yes. to when you're an educator and when you're an educator who when you're not a student you experience it in a different way so I think I brought I, I, I tapped into my experience as a student and that very
1: fresh experience,
0: <laughs> a fresh experience. And I tried to apply that to the bootcamp uh, by figuring out ways to improve the, the course, uh, right. Re- you know, working as a team to figure out a way to improve the user experience of the students. Uh, hmm. Because at the end of the day uh, these bootcamps will succeed if the student has a great user experience and they are able to learn uh, as best as possible because these boot camps, at the end of the day also are targeting mostly non-technical folk yes uh, they f- they focus on people who are some sort in the a, in a, they have a career ready maybe five to ten years of experience and they're looking to transition into a more technical role that's what these boot camps are great for it, it's for those folks who want to transition so these folks in general are not Technical by nature, they might be, uh, but not as is like a technical compared to someone who's a software developer. So you have to figure out a product that it caters to this non technical audience and slowly ramp them up to be much more technical after three months. And I think that is such a hard challenge that most boot camps in Canada are trying to solve. Yes. However, after two months, not two months, after two cohorts at um, Brain Station, uh, when I was a TA, I decided it was time to go and time to look for other opportunities uh, because uh, I thought I, I started my BrainStation career as a student, I think, March, April of 2019, and I left around March, April uh, 2020. So it was mm-hmm. like a one-year thing. I thought it was poetic. It was time to leave after one year be- within this system. Uh, but at that time I left, it was the peak of the pandemic, um, and <laughs> the best remember, time to look for a job, <laughs> <laughs> the best time to look for a job. But I already made up my mind like before this whole um pandemic started going, and I think at that time no one really knew if how bad it was going to be or how yes. big was the outbreak. So, looking back at that decision, I, I don't know if it's the best decision, but it did lead me to where I am today. Uh, <laughs> so after the pandemic, after when the pandemic hit, and I Left the job. Um, I spent a few months uh just figuring out what I wanted to do the next steps by mm-hmm. reponing my skills, starting a podcast, refining my work, um, building on my portfolio, my data science portfolio. Because, uh, in data science, especially those coming from boot camps, it's so important to have a data science portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I was just again, just making sure I was also writing tutorials and building. Uh, educational content regarding data science I was still teaching in a way or like refining my education educator skills in the realm of data science and shortly after that um, at the end of the summer of uh, 2020 I interviewed at another boot camp called Lighthouse Labs and they onboarded me on September and I've been working with them ever since and now I'm an instructor at Lighthouse Labs I've I've taught a public bootcamp. Uh, what I mean by the public bootcamp is the bootcamp that you usually see on um, when you, you go on a website, the public for the public, and then there's the private bootcamp, which is what the corporations might go to Lighthouse Labs and you know ask them for a custom course or a corporate mm-hmm. course. So I taught the public bootcamp, I taught the private bootcamp and they gave me great opportunities such as the, working on the 21 day data challenge, which was a, a big marketing push on Lighthouse Labs part to get people aware of their data science program. And it was great because I had a lot of ownership and I realized as I get through with this, I'm, I'm becoming really passionate about just education in general, um, because I think it's like these, these companies such as Lighthouse Labs or uh, those in this bootcamp space where they're, they're focused on upskilling folks. Yes. I think these are great products in the market because someone doesn't have to spend a year Uh, or go through the process of applying for a university to get these skills, they can find a shorter course that does just an equal amount of good job to actually upskill in this way. At least in Canada, these schools, such as Lighthouse, such as Brain Station, they're regulated by the government. So there is actual regulations that make sure the standard of quality is very high. Because they're registered as private colleges. They're registered as private colleges. I am not too sure if this is true in the United States, where the regulations are up to par Canada, but at least in Canada, uh, you can rest assured that the government does check that these schools are legit. And then these schools are legit because there's folks who have gone through this program and are able to upskill or transition to the role or the field that they actually studied for. And, That's right. and I'm, v- I'm very proud of that. And I, I really love the the journey I see from a student who entered the boot bootcamp day one and they finish in, the end of after three months and then you look at their journey and you're like wow they've learned so much in such a short time they were able to upskill and, and and partly due to like what you put into the bootcamp, how you interacted with students how you taught the program uh but every time you teach the program every time you do a class every time you're interacting with students you're always figuring out better ways to convey uh the content and i think as i am in this position and as i work on this and the more experience i get you'll realize what works and what doesn't work because you know it, it is also a challenge too it's a challenge to design a lesson to like teach it's a challenge to sometimes speak for two hours it's a challenge at times to figure out how to break down complex technical stuff and breaking it down into uh, layman terms or simplified terms and there's one thing I've always said to myself and always said to uh, all my students when I when they're learning concepts and something I try to embody uh, is always figure out a way to break down complex ideas into mm. simple terms. Mm. Uh, because I, I believe at the end of the day, data science is super accessible. Anyone can learn it if they put their minds to it. Mm. And the challenging part uh, is how do you break down these complex data science terms into non, to non-technical to non folk? Or like how do you break it down to simple ways so you can actually convey the knowledge uh, to the other party? And I think it's a sign of a great educator if they can break it down to simple terms and not use too much jargon uh, to convey a topic. Uh, so that's something I have in the back of my mind as I am in this role is how do I figure out how to, uh, Make it easier for my students so they don't have to spend too much time questioning themselves or spend too much time you know trying to study it on their own that's Mm -hmm. what they paid for they paid for a product and as an educator your job is to figure out the best way to you know convey the knowledge to them so that when they finish the boot camp they can go on and succeed in their whatever role that they land in the field that they study
1: That's right. And just to build on, on, you know, your reflection on
0: what it means
1: to be a data science instructor, what would you say that are some of the key areas in your role that you spend a lot of time uh, focusing? Um, Obviously, there's a significant portion of your time that ends up spent in teaching environment, right? I remember mentioning that, you know, it might be that you're going to have a two-hour block, um, you know, later today where you're going to be teaching, uh, life uh, to students, but what but are some of the other components in terms of preparation, in terms of identifying new um, opportunities to further improve the learning experience for students? How do you allocate your time and how would you identify uh, the uh, key areas within your role?
0: That's a great question. Um, when it comes to teaching lectures, I think the act of teaching itself um, or delivering the content, that is not the hardest part uh, because I thought when you reach that point, you should already know what you're teaching. Um, it's, it's challenging if it's the first time you're teaching content and you don't know if this way, this method works or not and, and every time you teach a new content for the first time, you go back and reflect and figure out how can I improve this? How do I tweak this? How do I improve the delivery? Uh, but after 10 or 20 lectures that you do, it becomes second nature, to be honest, just delivering content. But the hard part at the end of the day is preparing the content, uh, preparing the lecture, preparing the, the lesson slides, preparing the exercises. Um, because at Lighthouse Labs, a lot of that work is self-work. You have to prepare it on your own and you have to figure out the best method uh, to deliver the content because we have what we call instructor freedom in this case. So preparing the content takes a long time. It can take anywhere from like two hours to like eight hours at times of just figuring out the best way to uh, deliver the content. But but also I think part of it is I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I was a student at a bootcamp. So I kind of have an idea what works and what doesn't work that I think, at least on my own like what I believe in. Yes. And I'm always want to make sure that when I deliver a con- like a, some sort of lecture, I hmm. wanna make sure that at the end of, end of it, most people don't have that many questions because I, I covered all the bases. That's kind of like my benchmark is, hmm. can I cover all the bases in the most accessible and easy way? Uh, but on top of that, preparing takes a, a lot of time, but uh, just also after lectures, uh, these students are working their content, they're, you know, they're studying or they're, they're figuring things out and they're, they're refining their skills with like assignments and whatnot. Um, we're also available to them, and there are many times you'd have one-on-ones with students, and these one-on-ones you try to encourage them, uh, you try to like break down complex uh, topics into simple terms again. Uh, you kind of you mentor them into to be beta, better data scientists. Uh, these take a lot of time as well, just these one-on-one interactions. Hmm. But I think these are the most important. This is the most important part of the user experience is this one-on-one interaction between an instructor. Uh, and um a student because these one-on-one uh interactions can really set them up for success yes uh they they feel more reassured that they're learning. they feel more reassured that they paid this much money for this bootcamp and they're getting much value out of it so the more one-on-one attention you can have with the student uh the better their their performance going to be and the, the more confident they will be at the end of the boot camp when they leave so I try to have as much one-on-one interactions as possible Hmm. Uh, but I would say that's teaching aside and um, I've also done work uh, at Lighthouse Labs regarding just working on like a curriculum such as a 21 day data challenge that you you uh, you entered uh, which was 21 days of data analytical challenges and and I do work regarding to that and there's also some work that I really can't say um, right now that I'm doing but uh, the public f- facing side is I do, edu- I, I work on education and I prepare content, I deliver the content, I do one on one. But at the back of my mind, every time I do work on this, I'm always thinking, how can I improve this the next time? That's great. What, what part of the student pro- experience? What part of the program is weak? Uh, what part of the program is strong? Uh, that's something I'm constantly thinking, and that's something uh that i have in the back of my mind so the next time a new cohort comes around i will you know try to address what i think were were shortcomings or address what i think did well so we don't repeat the same mistakes and and Mm -hmm. i think that's what i like about uh at least with the house labs and this boot camp and i think it's true for most boot camps is you have a course this time but the next version of course is never the same is this constant iterative improvements that we do to the course. And as educators, we try to be aware of uh, that makes the course so good. Uh, so, you know, I can say like the course today is going to be better than the course one year ago. And I'm sure the course in the next year will be better than the course uh, today because we're con- they're constantly, uh, you know, figuring out what, what, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, we take an account of lessons learned, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. that is... For all educators figuring out in the back of their head, like what can we do to improve this product? Hmm. And building on this train of thought,
1: would you say that there is uh, one aspect of your role as a data science instructor that you find most fulfilling? And on the flip side, is there one aspect of your role that you find most difficult?
0: Uh, most fulfilling, honestly, is uh, when seeing a cohort finish their program when i see a bunch of students you know at the end um they're just wrapping up their last project their last capstone and they're finishing off and just seeing the their work uh that was built upon three months of studying Mm. is quite rewarding just to see that they become so knowledgeable about a subject in three months it's great it it really Mm. validates your role and validates the work you do uh, just seeing them graduate and actually enter the field or at least have the foundation of data science uh, you gave them and that that's that's always so rewarding at the end of each each program it's always bittersweet because you build rapport with these students you, you interact with them almost every day so it kind of feels like a family at times and then it's kind of sad at times that um, towards the end they go off and you don't interact with them as much but a new court will come by and replace the whole thing. And it's also exciting when the new court starts because they're so eager. They don't know much. Um, and, and I think that just witnessing the, the, the student's journey is, is so rewarding. But the challenging aspect is I think, and uh, the day is just preparing the content and, and, and figuring out the content. That, that's always, it's always going to be a challenge. Mm. And, and, it, and, it's, and, the, and it's, it's a challenge because if you're a perfectionist or you know your business like what is good enough that's that's the hard thing to gauge like what is the goalpost where you come to conclusion this is good enough where in reality there's always things you can improve there's always many things you can improve but in the, the day there's a lack of resources there's a lack of time you got to understand what you should prioritize uh, and that's always challenging is like selecting what you should improve on and figuring mm-hmm. out what to improve the next round of Of uh, you deliver a content lecture or whatnot. Hmm. Speaking of content, last summer you launched the monthly
1: podcast, The Pandemic Job Hunt. Um, Are there any um, ideas that stood out to you that were shared by some of your guests when it comes to career development? Or um, is there a particular episode that really stands out in your mind that you think that um, our listeners should take a look at and I can thank to in the notes.
0: Yeah, I think um, the pandemic job hunt has been a very interesting podcast. Just understanding how these various guests, you know, approach this job hunting. But I think what's most interesting was episode three. I had a guest, his name is Rohan Seth. Mm-hmm. And um, he works at this hotel company, uh, a startup actually. And, and he has some very candid views of uh of the job hunting process and uh i think views that a lot of recruiters or bigger companies may not admit uh and i think this maybe could have been unspoken truth but you know i could be wrong uh, but i re- i really liked about that episode was he was very straightforward to the fact that in this pandemic times uh you see a job posting online you apply for it, many times they're not going to look at that because uh, when a company posts a job, especially these smaller companies, they might get you know 500 to 1,000 inbound uh, applications uh, from whatever job site they post. And these folks, they're busy. They can't look at every single resume. That's right. So what they do sometimes is they just look at the folks who actually reached out to them either through email or through LinkedIn, and they don't, you know, interview those people, because those people took the initiative to actually reach out. And I think this is true across every industry and and every opportunity that I've got, if you don't take initiative, uh, by not just applying, but you know, reaching out, networking, uh, you're, 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 you're very unlikely for you to get a call back or, or not big, especially in these days where competition is so high, a lot of people are still un, unemployed, where it's not at that level of pre-COVID, uh, pre-COVID uh, employment status. So every job out there is still a lot of applications and you have to figure out a way to stand out. And I think the best way to stand out is through networking and really trying to make a connection because uh, we're, we're all humans. We crave connections and In order to do business you want to make a touch point you want to you convey your human if if not you're just a resume on the screen you're just a name on the screen if you add a personal touch to it either through networking or getting someone to connect you with someone and and talking to them they're going to keep you in the back of your head and then when they see your resume they know hey i've seen you before you reached out to me i'm going to talk to you and and see if we can find out and i love his candid approach about that and I think this is very true for smaller companies, startups, smaller companies who do not have full-fledged, uh, you know, HR teams or a full-fledged recruiting team. They are just, you know, either one or two employees who are working in recruitment or they're just hiring managers for a different team, just trying to recruit for their own team. Bigger companies, you know, upper 20,000 plus may be a different story, but I think this is a bit true for smaller companies is, uh, don't just apply. If you apply, your, your application is going nowhere. You have to think outside a box to get your application in. And the best way is to really network with others. And also not just that, work on your personal brand. Uh, work on your personal brand on LinkedIn, start posting, uh, start showing that you're still honing your craft. For example, if you're a data scientist and you're not having a job, Make sure you're still active, such as participating in hackathons, such as building on your portfolio or, like, you know, write an article discussing an idea in data science. Uh, showing that you're a thought leader and you're constantly contributing and thinking of thinking in this field, I think, really adds to your credibility when someone looks at your profile uh, that this person is active. They're not, you know, they're not just applying to get a job. They're actually passionate about it. And uh end of the day, we're all humans. Uh, we want to be surrounded by folks who are passionate, who are interested in their field. So to show that, one of the best ways in today's world is by being active on social media, uh, professional social media. So that's LinkedIn and possibly Twitter.
1: That's so valuable and so spot on with how I'm thinking about it. I do remember listening to the episode and I, hey. I found it spot on. Um, I remember some time ago, applying for work in London, England, and interviewing for a role. Um, and later, I found out that there was another person who was interviewing for that role that was doing yeah. the same job in another country for the same mm-hmm. company. And somehow, me and outsider managed to get in mm-hmm. without having the full skill set. And the way I did it is because I knew I really, really wanted the job. Mm-hmm. And I started blogging on my website, <laughs> so by the about the particular area, so it was global market research in the area of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up doing global market research in the area of chocolate because I ended up blogging about it. So I had about three blog posts by the time mm-hmm. the they looked at my application, and I made mm-hmm. sure I featured my uh, uh, my my website very prominently on the resume, I ended up getting the role because they saw awesome. how passionate I was and I was yeah. doing research about it. Whereas the other person, it was it was a job for them. But for me, mm-hmm. it was something that I was really interested in. Yeah. And the same way when you're applying for a role to, if it's posted on LinkedIn and it's posted on Indeed and on the company website, mm-hmm. I literally apply in all three places because it makes it more <laughs> likely that they find you. And yeah. then if there's the name of a person mentioned, go on LinkedIn, try to connect with them maybe by Mm -hmm. liking some of their things find them on twitter i follow them on twitter Mm -hmm. i make sure i email them if i Mm -hmm. find the name of the recruiter on the file and the name of the manager i message both of them like Mm -hmm. if you really want a job
0: yeah sure really
1: really go after it don't don't play around because somebody else is going to be after that job and because they're showing a lot more passion and energy they're going to be the ones getting it but you can be the most passionate about it um and and be able to secure that role
0: i agree i i like i like that that story i like the fact that you blogged uh because that shows that you did some research some domain research and on their on their end they're like oh this person already knows a little bit about the industry a okay. little bit about the domain that we don't have to spend that much time onboarding them That's so right. on their end like this is a perfect candidate uh, but yeah you have to really show that you're interested in, And one way to do that is just write like a short cover letter And when it comes to cover letter writing you don't have to write a lot just say i'm interested in this uh you can check out my resume uh but the fact that you filled in the the cover letter form uh shows that oh this person is even more interested in and many times i don't think they even look at your cover letters uh they just see that you've done it and that's like another step of validating the fact that you're interesting but then again um i also think you should because like looking for a job is so time consuming in general i I always suggest to to like find a few companies that you can spend a lot of energy applying versus just shoot all just apply to say 60 companies in like one day just pick your battles and pick the ones that you really want to do it so you can have a more more energy in a specific application because if you have a quality application is most likely for them that will they'll pick you up versus just you know uh, a shotgun approach of applying to like a bunch of companies in a short amount of time uh, because that's- each application is not of high quality. It's just quantity. So quality over quantity is, is my recommendation as well. That's
1: great. Yeah. So maybe having uh, your, your hit list of 10 dream yeah. lawyers and, and really going hard after those. And if you have time, you can sprinkle applications and other mm-hmm. employers as well, but that's a really great train of thought. And if even you can- even yeah. if
0: you get rejected, um even if you get rejected you had an interview with them still connect with them on linkedin be like hey i had a good interview i really enjoyed the process uh i i really liked your style i know i didn't get the job but i would love to stay connected uh, because you know you never know
1: <laughs> yeah this is so insightful and valuable and it's interesting because both of us run podcasts in the area of career development so we get yeah. to Hear really insightful trains of thoughts from some mm-hmm. of the individuals that we're interacting with. If we can switch over to your model, which I find mm. fascinating, being comfortable and resilient in the face of uncertainty. Now, how applicable is that during a pandemic? Can
0: oh, you share a little bit cool.
1: about, <laughs> a little about your <laughs> model and how how one might leverage it in their career development process?
0: Yeah, um, I'm not too sure when I put that on my bio, uh, being comfortable and resilient in the face of uncertainty. I don't know if I put that in the middle of pandemic or I put that sometime before the pandemic, uh, but I've seen that motto for some time now. And I think I've probably seen it in like a, uh, a book about Stoicism um, or such as one, one, one big book is uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, That's a really good book in terms of understanding the Stoic mind way and the Stoic philosophy. But I think this quote is very important because in life we face a lot of uncertainty. There's so much that is up in the air all the time. And especially true for folks, I think, who are early on in their careers. Um, who are especially university students who don't know what they're getting themselves into, don't know what they want to do, or they graduated, they have a job or they don't have a job. There's so much uncertainty in terms of what is the path forward. And I think when you're uncertain and you're not comfortable in it, or you're, you're, you're stressed out about it, it really clouds your judgment. It really clouds your energy and really clouds uh, your decision-making. And I think it's important to always understand that your you're okay. Things will always work out. And being comfortable in uncertainty means you are aware that there's, you're in an uncertain period of time. You're aware of that, but stop worrying about that. Focus on what you can do to get yourself out of a position of uncertainty and put yourself in a position where you have a bit more certain. Uh, And I think it has to do a bit more of, of not being succumbed to the stress of it or the worry of in the uncertain period of time or stressful period and just focus on the action of doing so it's a very stoic way of of just you're aware of it but i won't let that get to me and let me actually figure out a way to get myself in a more Mm. comfortable position so that's that's where it's coming from like being comfortable Mm. and resilient in the face of uncertainty and this was very true for me after i left brain station in the middle of the pandemic um there's a period of my life where it was super uncertain I, I did not know what i wanted to do i did not know what the next step i wasn't too sure data science was the right path for me or education was the right path for me i really liked it but i wasn't obviously I was, i'm not sure because i wasn't in it um but in that period, I, I I realized, okay, I'm not going to let the stress get to me. Let me just figure out the, my next steps and focus on like building my resume, building my portfolio, uh, try on some side projects. And in that period, I, I started my podcast. I started another podcast uh, called The Little Big Ideas Show. And if I didn't start that podcast, I would have n- never done the Pandemic Job Hunts podcast mm-hmm. because that podcast, my first podcast for me started uh, – ability to understand how the podcasting world works so starting a second podcast was much easier and the second podcast the fact that i'm interviewing people has benefited me so much because now my my ability to speak has been so it's so much better than it was before a pandemic because especially in the role i am now where i'm instructing all the time i'm in a position of authority i'm 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 explaining things i have to speak things in an eloquent and articulate way the 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 podcast has really helped me with that as well uh so things generally work out but it's important to be comfortable and resilient in the face of uncertainty and you should choose to do something versus choosing to be worried and you know you know just stay at home and watch netflix choose to do something to be to put yourself in a better place even if you don't have a job right now uh working your portfolio is better than nothing because that is noticed. You know? and, and I think it's true with your example, when you apply for a job, you blogged about uh, that industry. Uh, you didn't have a job at the time, but the fact that you're passionate about that, it, it pays off. It pays off in, in dividends down the line that you might not know of or might not realize in the short term.
1: That's right. In terms of resources that you think someone should take a look at, your podcast, right? The, the mm-hmm. Pandemic Job Hunt. Um, I'm going to mention the book Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the need to, um, you know, look at examples of portfolios and developing your own. Is there one other resource that we haven't touched on that you think is worth mm-hmm. checking out for someone who is looking for a job right now?
0: Um, I can maybe tone this down for like the data science yes. field. I think that's a little bit more applicable, and I think. A- I can speak on that. Um, if you're a data, data professional and you want to get into data science or data analytics, uh, you should always constantly refine your skills. So there are tons of resources such as LeetCode or hacker rank that, uh, that focus on um, your technical skills, but also look up at GitHub. GitHub has tons of resources and tons of people put their portfolios in there use github as an inspiration for you to figure out the type of portfolio you want to create um that that's you know speaking for just data science in general uh but second after that is learn how to manage your time properly and i think that is really important because if you work on something a lot you'll get burnt out and getting burnt out i've done i've, I've been there before sucks because you want to spend five days recovering and doing nothing. So make sure you balance your time and be mindful of the amount of energy you can spend on a, in a single day because everyone has a point where their brain will just not work. You can't study past midnight or else you are you can try, but you're not really absorbing it. So maybe you should sleep. So prioritize sleep. Uh, make sure you have a routine. Be organized. And also, if you can fit in exercise, that's great because some exercise, even 15 or 20 minutes, or even going for a short walk is better than nothing. So I recommend if you're a job seeker, make sure you have routine and that routine involves staying fit, staying healthy, eating correctly, and being mindful that you may only have maybe six to eight hours of really intense focus time. And I think, at least for me, um, I think I can only give six to eight hours of really good focus quality uh, energy in terms of productivity. And then the rest of that, it's it's not as productivity uh, or not not as productive, it's uh, less productive. I can still get work done, but I think there's only six hours of quality hours a day for me. So if you're mindful of that and you, uh, you figure out how your energy works throughout the day, you can be really productive and that requires being organized. And, and for me, how I organize is I use Notion. As a, as a software to just organize my thoughts. And I use, uh, I think Tick is another like to-do list that I also do use as well to manage, I guess, um, my, uh, my work and what I need to do. And one thing I do to keep myself at least uh, sane is I, I spend a lot of time journaling and reflecting. I always have a book next to me or on, on my bedside. It's called my, my daily journal or my daily book. It's just a book where I have a pen and I just capture any thought. It, it, it's just like a place to unload anything on my brain. I, I always have that on, on pen and paper uh, just to write down any thoughts. It could be a diary entry. It could be a to-do list. It could be like just if I'm reading something, I'm just taking some notes. It's just a book that catches my thoughts. And I think it's also important to be reflective. Uh, every month I, I always do this as well. At the beginning of the month, I reflect On the previous month uh, as in terms of like did I achieve my goals Um, Did I did I achieve what I wanted to do, and then I also plan my next month so for me. In order to be productive and be focused, I have to spend a lot of time reflecting I think that's something a lot of folks don't do they don't reflect enough. And you can reflect on your personal life, but you can also reflect on your professional life and the goals and what you want to achieve. So I highly recommend doing these monthly reflections. And that's something I, I'm a big believer in. I, and I, I tell all my peers and friends that you should do that as well if you, if you uh, are trying to like achieve something. But Andrew, yeah. thank you so much. This has <laughs> been so insightful.
1: Andrew, what's next for
0: you? What's next for me? Um, well, right now I'm an educator at Lighthouse Labs. I'm still very passionate about education um, and I'm really passionate about interviewing people for my pandemic job hunt. So right now I'm focused on my work, uh, my my pandemic job hunt podcast, and I'm also just focused on uh, just trying to be healthy and and enjoy life, uh, especially now the summer is coming back. uh, The gloom of winter is gone and so spring is here. So I I just want to enjoy summer and and enjoy life but also when in terms of personal projects one thing I want to achieve this year is I want to build my own course and release my own course online not necessarily regarding to data science but maybe a subset of data science and and that's something I want to i has been a goal of mine is to develop a course from scratch end to end that I can just brand as my own that sounds
1: great it's a great idea <laughs> you should definitely do it Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. I really
0: appreciate having you on the Career Planning Show. Thanks for having me, Alex.
1: We recorded the Career Planning Show in the podcast booth inside the Staples Studio co-working space located in Midtown Toronto, Canada. Staples Studio not only offers a safe space to work with desks, offices, private phone booths and meeting rooms, they are also connected to the Staples Store where they have everything you need under one roof. With locations across Canada, Staples Studio is a community to help you work, learn, and grow. To learn about their co-working space locations, pricing, and amenities, visit studio.staples.ca and book a virtual tour.
0: If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe and share the Career Planning Show with a friend. For more resources and to ask your career development questions, visit R-A-S-C-A-N-U dot forward slash the career planning show.